Hey guys, I'm Taylor. And I'm Erica. And we're your hosts for Finding the Family. Finding the Family was created as a way to help you figure out how to disciple at home because that's not easy. And so we brought in ministry leaders and professionals and created conversations for us to learn how to find our family identity in Christ. And this week, we have a special episode for you. We have a Zoom with Steve and Twyla Lee, all the way from Colorado, who have some great information on why it's harder to reach those who are closest to you. So stay tuned. All right. Well, Stephen Twyla Lee, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you guys are out in Colorado. You've done a lot of ministry in your careers, relational ministry, family ministries. You were at HU, St. Francis, all around. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you guys kind of do now. Um, well, we were we were at Huntington teaching a variety of schools. I was at at HU at Huntington University for 24 years, chair of the psychology department. And uh, Twyla, you were? I was, uh, I my uh, background is in social work. And so I was teaching, um, I had done some practice before we moved to Indiana, but when we got there, I got a job for the first time teaching full-time at St. Francis University. I was there for seven years and then uh, directed the program, the social work program at Taylor for 11 years and then was invited to come to Huntington University and start a social work program there. So I did that and was there for six years before we moved to Colorado. So, but Steve and I, I mean, God has really led us in our own marriage by opening doors for us um, to get involved in that when we were just newly married and there was a lot we didn't know. Um, And just before we became parents, we got involved in, uh, training for marriage enrichment. And so together we've been leading marriage seminars and family life conferences for like 35 years now in various parts mm-hmm. of the country, kind of on the side. And after we retired, we did a little bit more of that. Um, and so that's kind of our focus is working with churches and with universities to um, encourage marriage and family and parenting yeah. um, within those systems. Yeah. And so one, uh, one of the cool things that, uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on was because of your experience, uh, within working with families and, and, and hearing the complexity of discipleship. And that's kind of the focus of today's episode is, is really there's a discipleship model that's laid out in scripture. Like we should be disciples at home. I think one of the most unique challenges, Eric and I have been talking about this for a while is that, for whatever reason, and maybe it's just us, but the people closest to you are the hardest to reach. And so why do you guys think that would be that some, even your family, your friends, the people closest to you, why is it so hard to reach them? Because they know you, they, they know your, your ups, your downs, your faults, your, you know, and Jesus even said that he says, you know, it's tough for a prophet to be heard in his own country or in his own Mm. town. Yeah. You know, it's when you are known by people, they have impressions of you. Um, you guys probably know and remember that 
when we were kids growing up, takes a long time before you see parents as people. Um, they just kind yeah. of are parents. Yeah. And, you know, eventually when you grow up and you get to be an adult, you look and say, oh, yeah, I guess they were real people, too. That <laughs> hopes and dreams yeah. and insecurities and problems and faults. Um, you don't see them that way as you're growing up. And that's true with a lot of situations that people are seen by how you know them or the role they play in your life. And so to try to bring something to them that may be important to you, but if they haven't seen that before or haven't heard about it before, uh, it, it just, it's a tough time kind of putting that together. Yeah. Yeah. No. We we talked about that a little bit. So right now we have a three and a one-year-old. So discipling within our own home hasn't been too challenging yet. Right. It's it's more so those family members, right, who are uh, maybe somebody who was a figure, you know, to, like a, a mother or a, a father, an aunt, uncle, whatever it may be. It's almost like, you know, when those people are placed on your heart and you feel like those are the ones you want to reach, um, there's almost a hesitance because of exactly what you said. You know, they they know who you are. They've seen our faults. Um, so that's that's kind of been our struggle. But you and, and also the um, respecting your elder kind of thing. We, we kind of were talking like, is it do they feel insulted by us bringing something like this to them? Um, so it's it's been kind of tough navigating that yeah, for like, us. So, so reaching your kids is one thing. Like in yeah. the Shema talks through that. It says you should teach right. your kids at home. You should write them on write this on your doorpost to love Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your might. Right. That's something that's in the Titus 2 biblical model. This is an older generation pouring into a younger generation. Mm-hmm. But I think one of those challenges we we face is what about our friends or what about the people that the generations before us mm-hmm. who are still seeking Christ too? They they need the message just as much. And, and we have sometimes just as much time with them. So, yeah, right. so there is that barrier of, of how to share the gospel with mm-hmm. them sometimes. Sure. And and one of the things with those that are older is they often look and see you in the role of being either their child mm-hmm. or their, their nephew or niece or whatever it might be. Um, and that I've lived, I've lived more life than you. So who mm-hmm. are you? Exactly. You such and such. Um, and, and it actually kind of brings one thing that, I think we'd both want to share and that when you want to share with people, even Jesus at times was very good at not simply telling people what they need to know. He was great at asking questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you can do when you're younger with those that are older is to ask them questions about their own yeah. journey, about their own faith. Have you ever thought about this? Rather than coming across as someone where I've got information that you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. That was what we talked about is like, how do you say like, hey, this is something I think you need to know because from their perspective, well, you shouldn't know something as a younger generation that I don't already know. And I think, you know, just that's a big thing that we always try to focus on is that when you do sit down and talk with someone, I think it's really important to get their story. Yep. And to ask yeah, why why are you here and what brought you to this place? I want to know all about it because the reality is I was there as well. Like I'm not different from you yet. What Christ has done in me is to to renew me and give me a new life, and it's there for you too. I I think that's a very great point. And I think back to even the whole identity thing. Like to be known is sometimes the most beautiful and the most scary thing mm-hmm. I think that we experience as humans is 
is all the developmental cycle of life from a two-year-old trying to, you know, be known as a princess to mom and dad <laughs> to a 13-year-old who wants to be known by their peers to an adult who wants to be known as an adult. Right. Um, and I think when there's like this exposing of you get to know my personality type, my habits and my behaviors, you know who I was before Christ. I think that's what almost, though there's a lot of relatability, there ends up being a barrier to say, well, you were this. And that's mm-hmm. where in the Shema that really resonates um, with me, if if you read on in Deuteronomy 6, it talks about when you write these things on your doorpost, to me, that's how is it evident to other people like this is a believer? So how am I seeing this within you? So is the way that I'm conducting my own life and my and sharing my faith conducive of what Christ would really honor? Right. Yeah. And and even when you look at the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, you've got um, not only how you live your life, but that sharing your faith becomes a matter of not sitting people down for a lecture, yeah. but it is as you walk along the way, as you rise up, as you lay down, you know, it's in the normal conversations, normal flow of how you talk about things in life. And whether that's with, you know, relatives or others, friends that you have that are older or your own kids as they're growing up, you know, you can talk about, you know, something in nature and say, look what God has done. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, there, there are a lot of ways that you can make it a natural part of conversation rather than a, you know, a, a pulpit sermon to some. Right. And that, I think that's like part of um, what he says, like to love the Lord, your God, part of loving someone is to know someone. Yeah. So right. again, like you have to learn and to know and to spend time in relationship with just like to love my wife, I need to know her and, and to have, be in a relationship with her. And if I didn't know her, how could I ever genuinely love her? And also that's not just by, it's not just by reading and studying it's by spending time in a relationship and to live with her to really know who she is very very true very true we have always said that it's so important within family relationships and of course this applies elsewhere but to begin there is to have a genuine curiosity Mm. about that other person if Mm. they feel that you really care that when you ask a question and then you really listen and you follow up with that and, and and you're really curious you want to know more it's amazing i think how little we know about our family and we think we know so much oh. so the assumptions we make are barriers to us learning more i mean absolutely we just recently lost steve's brother and there, there's a whole background story of difficulty there but in going through his things we're finding out things about him that we wish we had known earlier and mm. We think about are there ways that we could have engaged with him or what, you know, just to review that to help us. Okay, so how do we relate to the brothers and sisters that we have left? How can we have better relationships than we've had? And I think that's that genuine curiosity. I'm finding that to be true with teenage grandchildren right now. I'm trying to, I've had a good relationship as a grandma. and, and, And now with one of my granddaughters moving far away, I've I've just been praying about how do I keep a connection? And, you know, a spontaneous moment came up between she and I where I suggested we would write to each other. And, you know, this generation doesn't write letters, right? (laughs) And she grabbed onto it. She goes, yes, if you write me, Grandma, I'll write you back. And I thought, okay. And I said, 
ask me questions, you know, so that we can write about things. And I'm hoping that, so it's, it's that genuine curiosity about family members at all different ages that helps open doors. I think that we don't even imagine might be there right. um, until we engage in that way. So I think that's really interesting that you brought that up because we were just talking. Um, we recently had my grandmother over to our house and she brought a file folder and it was essentially like a family ancestry. Mm-hmm. And I I had never even, I've never known. And now I am super curious about where I'm from <laughs> versus yeah. where I thought I was from. And, and I'll never forget her mother, my great grandmother, um, before she had passed, this was probably two years before she had passed. We were on the phone. I was out in San Diego you know, making my phone calls back to family. And somehow she had said, well, you don't even know my maiden name. And I was like, I don't. I said, grandma, tell me about you. And I got this whole story about how she was orphaned during the depression because her family couldn't uh, provide for her. They didn't have money to take care of her. Um, And then come to find out like she had a different last name than everyone else. And all of these things, I was like, how did I love you so much? And then never know this about you. But then when I found this out about you, I love you even more. And so it was cool. And we were talking about that lineage of our family. And she brought this over. So from my great grandmother, 10 generations back was when they first came to America. Um, It started in the 1600s, but they were in America in the 1700s at some point. But I was looking at this list and I'm like, that's my family. Yeah. And I've never known about this side. But what we were talking about was look at where we will be 10 generations from now. Mm -hmm. Would we, the legacy that we leave with Christ, would that be remembered from, from us? Because I couldn't tell you, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I could make assumptions about, but I don't know about where they were in their faith. If they were Catholic, if they were, you know, Protestant from a reformation, I don't know any of that, but really the stewardship that we have of the times right now with the people that are around us and the family that we have was really like this. Look how many people it took to make me mm-hmm. <laughs> look how many people came along my path in my life that I never even knew about. And here I am in my faith. And I just would love to leave that legacy. Like if kids were to look back through generations and be like, well, this is where grandma and grandpa started. And, and now we're here because of of what they've done, what Christ has done through them really. And I just think there's something that was so inquisitive in me that night that I just, I still like, I, one of our relatives is supposedly, I don't know if he's a Spaniard or something. I'm like, there's no way <laughs> in my blood that that exists. But I was like, I was so excited because it was so new. And it was like, once it was revealed to me, it was just like, I need to know more of that. And like, what you're saying is the same way. Like when you want to know more about someone with that passion, that desire, other people feel that. Yes. And and yep. then like, I think it's cool because then you make like your granddaughter, you make that connection. It's a very intimate thing to write notes to one another. It's like mm-hmm. a lost art of intimacy that, mm-hmm. it, that I think is just, it's simple, but really it's just intentional too. Yeah. 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 That's what I was going to say. It's all about being intentional. Um, kind of like Steve said, you have these relationships where you don't see a parent as a person until later on. I think the same thing goes for grandparents and you know you you have to be um almost tender and gentle with people and like again like you said like ask them questions get to know their story because you know that's what that's what opens people up and then you just learn so much and kind of like we were talking earlier about 
you know, your ancestors and everything, it makes you realize that if we want to leave a legacy, you know, we have to start now because there is an urgency and we don't know how long we have. So, you know, starting now is something that we've realized is so important because we don't want to miss our call, you know, as being disciples. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I, you know, we've talked about this. When you get to the point where you're going to retire, you look back and say, where did all the years go? I mean, Mentally, I feel like I'm like 25 or 30. and ready to start <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you, you have that sense of you don't know, know how long you have. And, and certainly our connection with Life Church, there have been a number of people at Life Church where you just want to say gone too soon. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what that legacy is going to be and how much time you have for it. And so looking at how do I make my faith important enough to me that Mm -hmm. not only do I live it, but I think about it. And as I interact with people, it's something that I want to share with them, but I don't need to share it in a way that I'm trying to dump on them. I I need to do it in relationship. Yeah. Do you think that's one of the barriers then, Steve? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you think that's one of the barriers? Because there's clearly a barrier in today's culture of how to evangelize. Uh, whether that be we're too nervous uh, of how the approach is or we've never done it before. Why do you think it is that it's so hard for someone who's never maybe evangelized at all or who's tried evangelizing has been shut down? Why? What makes it so difficult to take that step? I, <laughs> I think that uh, there are a lack of role models. They haven't mm. seen that demonstrated in their own Mm. lives and how are you going to do something you've never learned Mm. how to do? So I think really helps even within the church family to have, you know, we used to growing up many years ago, we had Mm. testimonials where Mm. people in the church would get up and tell their story Mm. and in the, and the, their faith journey and who was influential in their lives. You know, I can still mention Mrs. Hofer, who, when I walked forward during an evangelistic crusade, she took me aside and for the first time showed me through scripture how I could be assured of my salvation. You know, I grew up in a Christian family, but I always had these doubts. Could I lose it? You know, that, Mm. that, and that was a pivotal moment in my life. So to have stories about people and who influenced them in their spiritual journey? It, it again, it's storytelling, mm. but um, and I think people would be much more at ease about telling their story than thinking they have to preach, you know, right. yeah, <laughs> or getting it wrong anyway. So you know, just equipping people to see how others do it in such a natural way, you know, asking questions so that it's something they can see themselves being able to do. Mm, well, I think really we taught, and and the the evangelism ways to evangelize are diverse. Mm. You know, people get reached for Christ. Oh my, the stories show all kinds of different avenues. Oh, but yes. if we don't hear the stories, we don't know that. And Christ mm. reaches people in different ways. And I I think one of the obstacles, similar to what Twyla is saying, is. You've got people out there who think they need to learn a certain way to do it, and they have to learn exactly what to say and how to go about it, and and that's yeah. just not really the case. And 
And so learning that sharing your story, I mean, you know, when you look at the research, one of the things that's out there is the number one thing that turns off non-Christians when they talk to Christians is that they feel as if they're being judged. Um, That somehow that, you know, I'm not good enough. You're telling me I've got to do this. And that if I don't, this is what's going to happen. And, And while that may, there certainly may be truth in that, it does have to do with how you approach people Mm. and how you approach people is to be a model, to talk about your own story, to ask questions rather than sort of this hitting people over the head saying you're missing out, you need to do this or else this. Mm. Um, Because we've got to get away from that sense of them feeling judged all the time. Yeah, I think that's that's where, go ahead, Twyla. Another thing that's important is if you're talking with someone and they ask you a hard question and you don't know the answer to just say, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go find out. That is exactly what I was going to say is I think that's another point is we think that we have to have all the answers because sometimes people do come to you with really difficult questions and it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not really sure about that. Let's, let's figure it out together or, you know, let me get back to you on this and then you know, having somebody else who you can ask and figure that answer out for you and with you. Yeah. So. That's, I think, like one of the things we see in young adults, at least our generations around us, is that, uh, you know, they grew up in Christian homes, but then once they went out on their own, they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And so because they don't know anything, their barrier is, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to do it. And and we say, well, just share your story. But I think they haven't even spent time, like, maybe searching for what their story is. Mm. Um, right. And I encourage them, like I always, like I, that's why when I meet with them or when I talk with people, I'm like, no, tell me about you. Because if I were to tell you all of my story, if we had enough time, you would, yeah. the more I dive into like the depths of how lost I was before I found Christ, uh, I think it's it's so much more relatable, but people are almost afraid to open up to that level. And I actually I had a meeting with a gentleman a few, probably a month or two ago now, um, and I, he was just recently baptized. So it's kind of following up and checking in on him and seeing, you know, how things were going. And I said, tell me a little bit more about your story because on baptism Sunday, we record like a roughly two minute video. It's like, give right. us your testimony. Um, they they share a lot more, but we have to, we had 41 baptisms actually, uh, in, yeah. in 2022. Mm-hmm. So, uh, two minute video. And I'm like, but I need to know who you are outside of that two minutes. Yeah. He told me some more stuff. And then I said, well, let me tell you a little bit about me. And as I told him, he goes, can I stop you really quick? I said, yeah, what's going on? And he was like, I probably didn't tell you everything that, <laughs> that, that I could have. Yeah. He was like, I w- he literally told me, he's like, I was fearful if I told you, you would think different about mm. me. Yeah. I said, well, let me tell you a little bit more about me then. And he was like, I didn't know it worked like that. Yeah. And like, you know what, exactly. you're you're hitting on a great point because we know that for people to truly share at depths that are meaningful or personal, they need to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It means they don't want to be hurt by what they tell people. And one of the best ways to create an openness to being vulnerable in other people is for you to be vulnerable yourself. Yeah. And Absolutely. that's really what you're saying is that by you opening up and sharing it made him or gave him permission to be more free to share from his story as well. Right. And that's yeah. like part of the, not saying I'm, I did that the right way, but like the modeling thing that you we've talked about is that 
what our kids see or what other people see in us. Like, are we modeling it? And mm-hmm. and sometimes if they don't know where to start, like you can be the example to show them like, well, let me show you. Let me, Don't be afraid to go show them to someone else. Like, this is how I have meetings. This is how I host groups. And this is how yeah. we reach lost people. Like, come along with me and watch me. It's the same thing your kids do when they pick up behaviors. Yeah. Like they watch you and they, they take the good, the bad and the ugly from the way you react. And so I think it's the same thing. And I think that's, that's why it's so interesting to me that scripture says it over and over and over. Like you invest in these people, you live by this example, you do these things and people will learn from you and you can raise that generation Mm -hmm. that way. And I think sadly, like it's kind of where we've gotten though in culture is we've, we've had a whole generation of, well, I just don't know where to start. And so it's setting up another generation for, well, we won't know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. So well, and I, I, I don't know if this connects with what you're saying or not. I, but what came to mind is we've got a generation that has been taught primarily through social media that you present a picture of yourself the way that you think you want everybody to see you, which may not reflect at all the way that your life is. Oh. But that disconnect between here's who I try to show people that I am versus here's who I know that I am makes it tough to define their own story and who they are. Yeah. And I actually, that's, that is actually a good point. Um, when we first came to our faith, the one, one of the first things I did was I went to my social media and I deleted all the bad things Mm. because I thought like, well, what if someone at the church looks me up? They're going to be like, who is this terrible kid? Like I, and I really feared that, that image. Mm -hmm. Um, and I look back now and I wish there was a way to recover all of the ugly and put it back on there all of the posts, all of the pictures, everything, because yeah. it's almost like if I could just give you like a file and say, Hey, look at, this is who I was. Right. And then you can watch the moment where it shifts. Like that's what the, yeah. that's the moment I want to talk about. And I mean, I've done that with even pictures on my phone and my past. I was like, I was so nervous about someone finding out who I was. And then I realized that was actually the easiest way to share with someone else. Like, yeah. This is who I was. Like yeah. when people share their testimony for baptism, some of the, we had a guy who said that, you know, in his testimony video, we didn't show it out front because of the timing, but he mentioned, he was like, I was addicted to, to pornography and he paused and he was like, I don't know if I should have said that. Can you edit it out? And I was like, why do you want to edit that out? He was scared. He was nervous. Horrible. He was like, well, I don't want people to think I looked at pornography. I was like, well, you're not doing it anymore. Right. Yeah. And he was like, no, I was like, that's the beauty and what Christ has done yeah. and redeemed you. Yeah. Like that needs to be highlighted. Now, Obviously, for some people, that's embarrassing, but you know, I think, but I think that's the vulnerability, though, to to tell someone else that because that's like a word we don't use anymore. Right. We don't right. talk about that. And it's important, and I I think the thing that we found really interesting, and there's lots of studies that show it too, is people when they look at people that they think are perfect, they actually don't feel as close to them as when they look at people that they know have problems. Oh, wow. uh, because that's everybody. A good point. Yeah. And, and so, you know, even pastors who share from from the front or, you know, youth leaders or whoever it might be saying, look, I'm a person who's got ups and downs and good and bad. But here's what Christ has done in my life. Mm-hmm. You're, you're really setting the stage for people to listen to that better than if you're constantly having to try to present a picture that says, I've got it all together. I never have any problems. You know, I've got a, got a handle on everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People don't connect to that because that's not their life. Yeah. And I mean, even, Absolutely. even your, yeah, your preaching language, like if you just present 
I'm giving you this message from the front and these things are working in my life because I spend time doing them and they're super effective. And all you have to do is try these things and you'll have this great life. Right. And people look at that and they're like, you don't know what's happening in my home this morning before we came here. Yep. And so that's why it's like, I've learned, you know, Mike and I have talked about that a lot. It's like, mm-hmm. how do you have the vulnerability? Like, this is who I was. And this is a raw story about my life. Yeah. And because of Christ, this is where I am today. Mm-hmm. And that's where I, that's the relatability. That's the, you know, relationships are built on trust. And I think people are more inclined to trust someone who was more like them. And I mean, yeah. I'm, yeah. I've even met with people who are addicted to drugs that I hung out with in high school mm-hmm. and they're embarrassed of where they're at today. Like one of my friends, he, he's overdosed, I think eight times now. And uh, so he kind of hid himself. And I was like, if you, we bleed the same blood, do we not? Like, what was the difference between you and I when mm-hmm. I just happened to get out of Huntington and you were stuck in Huntington? And mm-hmm. when I mentioned those things, he starts to really think like, yeah, like, I was like, dude, this is all for you too. Yeah. I would not have found it if I had not gotten away. I yeah. probably would have been stuck as well. Yeah. But then like by the grace of God, you know, I, I've actually, I found God in the military, which was just divine in and of itself. So mm-hmm. But then yeah. Erica, and, yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, kind of going back, it just makes me think a little bit about the social media aspect of especially kids, you know, who are who have social media as young as I don't know, 10, maybe even younger up until, you know, the teenage years. Those are those times where it's so like you're already whether you have social media or not, you're already struggling to find yourself and who you are. You know, you have a lot of things, school and, you know, family and friends, all these things that can be difficult for them to navigate. And if you're constantly trying to put on that perfect image, you know, you're never going to be content. There's never, yeah. you're always going to be striving for something that's not there. That's not real. Yeah, and so like, it's good. It's, it's social media can be good. It's a it tool. Can, I, yeah. I like the whole point that Steve makes about how if it's the church looks perfect on social media, right. Uh, or, but an influencer is more relatable. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so again, it's like there's there's good and bad in it. But so what image do we project then for someone to be like, okay, they understand that I'm not perfect. So if I go there, or yeah. if I'm a part of this community, they'll understand that I have baggage. Right. And, and just like at the end of the day, when you redirect your focus on Jesus and you truly find your identity in him it's the most beautiful thing because all of that washes away. So when I, we talked about this several times, but I kind of go back and forth with social media because it over time kind of, you know, makes you see all these posts and all these things are like, oh, maybe I should have this or maybe I should be doing that. And the it perfect becomes- perfect house with the perfect faith. It, and yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. And when I delete that app and I, I redirect my focus, which is usually what has to happen is that I I have to go to Jesus because I'm like, this is all false. This is not me. This is, you know, like, and and just go to him and truly be in relationship, not just have that, like, you know, we talk about it so much, not just saying I'm a Christian, but really knowing and seeking Jesus. And then you just, yeah, absolutely. I think it's the other thing that's cool that like when Jenny or like Nick, if they like when they post stories on the church's Mm -hmm. page, it's so cool to watch the people that are um, friends with the person whose story it is for them to be like, wow, thanks for sharing that. Or when they're on the podcast and they're like, I had no clue that that ever happened in your life. And you're like, or even the relatability, like and that's the church. It's the believers. It's the people. And when you highlight the imperfect people saved by a perfect savior, 
that is relatable. Right. And that's the beauty of how we could use it for good. Yet, like, the, the nature of sin in us is to say that, like, there's things that captivate us and torment us mm-hmm. to make us believe, here's your perfect reality. It's this glass house. Uh, and and it's just, it's not attainable. But it's just so, it's such a big call for us, though. And in our generations, Mary Clark actually has told us this before, that our generation has it harder raising kids mm-hmm. um, because of the effects of culture around us uh, and how expedited some of that information yeah. is. Um, yeah, and you, you know, let me jump in and just say, okay. and, and maybe in a sense ask you this question too now, because I, Erica, when you were talking about it, um, totally agree that social media is a tool. It can be used for good or bad. Yeah. And we talk about people who stories are shared, people pick up on it, find it relatable. I'm guessing that you're not finding that with 10, 12, 14 year olds. You're talking more about those that are older. Right. Um, and, and one of the things we know developmentally, and in fact, we've talked with Mary and Lance about this too, is that um, developmentally kids are great consumers of information they're terrible interpreters of information. In other words, they can't, they, they're not very good at analyzing and critiquing what it is that they're taking in. Um, their brains just aren't developed to that point yet. And so one of the things that have to be, I mean, I, I'm, I'm right on board with you about the sharing of stories and vulnerability, relatability. My struggle is in watching young teenagers who aren't really doing that or capable of that yet. Right. And that's a, that's a great point. I know we, we have family members who have young children and they consume social media and they don't like when they, when they get around our daughter, we say like, no TikTok. That's we don't, we don't expose our kid to it. Um, We have a church account for TikTok because we're trying to figure out how to infiltrate that whole system. But when you have a, a young kid navigating that on their own, yeah. Uh, it's dangerous because yeah. of what lurks around the corner for them. And and we're one church on a app that has millions and millions of people. Right. Like, like we can only reach so much yep. and, and, and our church content isn't tailored towards a young kid. Right. And so that's what we've talked about before as well as like the influence. So we're, we're stewards of our environment and we're mm-hmm. to be the influence yet. Sadly, sometimes uh, we allow influences in front of our kids, very eyes um, whether that's just movies, whether that's the music we listen to, whatever it is, yeah. uh, we allow that influence right to happen right in front of us even. And we don't understand the effect it would have on them. Yeah. Later in well, life. and to be transparent, um, my brother-in-law was telling us about how he feels like he can't have a conversation with his kids sometimes because something's just missing there. And, and instead they're, they'd rather be staring at their screen, right. On their phone and on, you know, a video game or whatever they may be doing. And so, and and this isn't like, again, to say he's doing it wrong or anything like that, but we have to be responsible as parents to say, okay, then, you know, you see that and you have to say no more, that's enough, you know, because that's again, our jobs. Well, it, may, it makes me kids. laugh because if I think of, so when the, when you read in scripture, what it's telling parents to do, kids didn't have these barriers. It was right. like, 
you know, how to make them work less or something yeah. was, was the barrier, <laughs> you know, how to, how to respect your father and mother, honor your father and mother was different. Um, yeah. yeah, that's like a large command. And we're also, we, we have a great commission as well. And so we are going to have unique barriers. Maybe, you know, maybe you're a home that is, you know, battery free toys, no TV, nothing, mm-hmm. but you send your kids to public school. You know, right. so there's still going to be an influence around them that's not you. And mind you, public school is an eight-hour day. Right. And so time do you really have that time to really be the model for your kids? Because they're going to see it from their peers as well. So Yeah, which speaks to the importance of modeling from the time they're born as they're little when you have the most influence because your influence will get less as they get older. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we've talked about with families and churches One of the best things parents can do as their kids get older and are hitting adolescence is find ways to get them or keep them connected to other kids who care about the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you know that an adolescence peer group takes on such a significant place with regard to how I think and what I do and the way that I look. And so if peer groups really important, one of the best things you can do is get them connected, whether that be youth group at church or um, one of the things we did, which was always, we always found interesting and it was really helpful. When our kids were growing up and when they hit adolescence, we decided that we were going to make our house a place that was kind of the place to, to be for them and their peer group. I mean, so we had a hot tub, we bought pool table we had a movie room i mean we did stuff for all the good things yeah (laughs) made that so they were there at our house most every weekend and you know we got a chance to interact with them talk with them um hear what they were thinking about and be able to share some things with them and and then you know we weren't hanging out with them all the time when they were there but but we knew where they were and we knew what they were doing Right. And that that as we talk to our kids now who are older, they are trying to do the same thing mm. with kids is how do we make our house a place where our kids can hang out with other good kids or kids who follow the Lord and yeah. where they want to be. You yeah, know? And that's like the story of the story of uh, of Mitch Fizeau. We, we were talking about before this with you guys. Uh, I had a great friend, Mitch. Um, and. In middle school, he invited me to everything. And we were always, you know, Roger's dad was always around us. And I was kind of that lost kid that that he never stopped inviting anywhere. And he was never ashamed to be around me. Um, and that's like the same model we've talked about before mm-hmm. is like, I want our kids to go reach their lost friends and to have a controlled environment where we know what's being taught, what's being talked about, what's being conducted. Um, but the what we have to remember is that it's up to us to model like this is the environment that we're gonna we're gonna take and sacrifice our own home for the greater good of you getting your friends here too. Yep. And so that's the our actually we've said this before and sorry if our viewers hear this repetitively. <laughs> yeah. But uh when we bought a house, it was called there was a blueprint that we found in the house and it was called the gateway. Um, and, uh, the gateway house was a big thing that we've kind of stuck with was like, we want it to be a gateway for Mm -hmm. people in their relationships. And we wanted it to be a hosting and an entertaining home. And it's, you know, and still in the works of the remodel, uh, (laughs) but we have hosted and entertained our our small groups. And it's just awesome to watch our kids interact in that environment and know that we have a place, um, that we can bring people in and, and it's always open. 
Yeah. No matter what, it's always open. It doesn't, it's not just for our church, small groups. It's not just, it's for, it's for everyone. And, and as our kids grow up, I'm so excited to see what, you know, God does in the future with, with our kids' friends, families, uh, and how that all develops as well. Because if we want to help our kids, part of our, the way we can help is to reach their friends as parents too. Yes. And to help and their home. And it extends that well. way. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, Stephen Twyla, we're so thankful to have yes. this time with you guys today and to, and to pick your brains and uh, thankful for your wisdom. So thank you for being here with us. It was, it was a pleasure. It was great to get to meet you guys and talk with you and, uh, and God's best to you as you continue to work with families and people and try to help them discover what it's like to walk with Christ. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for joining us on today's episode with Steve and Twyla Lee. For more information and resources, visit our Life Church Huntington app. Go under resources, finding the family, and there you'll find all additional information. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.